Let's feed until you let go of what is seen. I'm talking about your money. I'm nervous about going to Cleveland because I'm driving to the airport. And that Atlanta. Makes me nervous a little bit, actually. Yeah. Atlanta is. Well, I'm not nervous about drive. I drive fine. I'm nervous <laughs> about you driving because I know what your wife has said about you driving. You openly admitted it to me. And that makes me nervous about you doing a long drive to Atlanta. Listen, I can't focus unless I'm doing two things at once. <laughs> not good, Dolph. That's not good. You were even telling me, you're like, maybe we should record a live podcast while I'm driving. I was like, I, don't, I really don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I can put, I can hook the, the laptop up to my hotspot on my phone and put the mic in the cup holder. It works out perfectly. I'm not worried about the logistics of like how you're going to set up the record. I'm more worried about, I don't know, you focusing on the road and getting to Atlanta for a late night, you know, flight. Maybe. <laughs> this is, this is like the whole dynamic of, of uh, our relationship on this podcast though. You're like, that's a good idea. And I go, I don't think so. That sounds like a very bad idea. <laughs> you're not living life unless you're trying to die. Maybe I'm, the, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> here I am, Mr. Cynical, over here to shit all over your fun. But I just, I, I don't know. Something in my gut says probably not a great idea. Because number one, you never wear your glasses, especially when you're driving and you're supposed to wear them. <laughs> right? Not wrong. You didn't hear Dalton say no. It's true. Especially at night. Because <clears throat> what's wrong with me is astigmatism. Like bright I lights, have. bright lights at night, it just looks like starbursts, right? Yep. And I can't see anything but lights, especially at night. So it's just, I don't know, man, it's hard. It's hard to drive. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't enjoy driving very much. I do it whenever I have to, but I don't enjoy it, which well, is see, part of the reason I live that, here. That's the opposite. I love driving. I love driving so much, especially long drives. Yeah. Not so, so much. But put on, put on like a nice playlist and sing real loud at the top of your lungs all the way there. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun, man. I could do it at home. I don't know. I just, that's, yeah. I mean, like I, my dad lives about three hours from here and that's, that's the, the longest drives I do these days is just to go up and see him. Man, I got to drive three hours to get the civilization. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this, this, is our, this is also plays on our country mouse, city mouse dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm nervous about is I don't know anything about the parking lot at the airport. Like, I don't know how much money it will be to leave my car there for three days. They won't tell you until after. Yeah, posted. I I guess I don't know. I'm like I'm worried. I'll like just run up my bar tab in Cleveland and then come back. I'm like, oh shit! I don't. <laughs> How do I get my car out of here? That is ram the gate. You could text me. I'll, Ven- <laughs> I'll Venmo you a couple of bucks if you need to get out of the parking lot. <laughs> they do an instant transfer on Venmo now, so you'll be all right. You just gotta pay like what ten percent or something small, like five percent like- or something like that. Hey Vic, can you cash at me like <laughs> sixty bucks? <laughs> oh God! Well, I'll just hope that like you don't get to that point until you get back to Atlanta. Like you're not second day in Cleveland, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> uh, I think I think I'll be. I think I'm just worrying too much. I think I'll be okay. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, you you put something up on social media that I was going to talk about. You know, at the end of the last episode, I said I was going to get in touch with the PIC, the Private Investment Club. And I got a response from them. It was, I mean, I'm sure it's automated, but I clicked on the link and I was like, what are they going to want me to do? So I just wanted to run through really quick kind of as a follow up from last episode of, of 
the steps that you have to take that I haven't taken yet. And it will become very obvious why in just a minute. Um, Please tell me, how do you get into this totally not a pyramid scheme? (laughs) All right. So the first step to this totally not a pyramid scheme is um, the first question is what do you need to become wealthy? And it's multiple choice. You can, when you can click more than one, but it's, do you need mentoring, education, the right connections, funding, deals, guidance, or other. And I don't know what other means, but then you can fill in whatever other is. And then the next question is, how much income would you like to make in the next three to five years? I would say a billion dollars. Because I, <laughs> I, I can scrub away all my morals and become a billionaire. Um, how serious are you to reach your financial goals? And then comes the fun part. This is a checkbox of things that you have to agree to. You have to uh, confirm that you understand that the minimum requirements for me to become an elite member are Number one, I'm serious about my financial goals. So I'm going to click that. Number two, I'm willing to follow a proven system that has made so many millionaires. <laughs> Debatable. Number three, I believe in being mentored by someone who is the results that I want. Number four, I need to pass an interview with Sunil Tulsiani. What? Yes. You have to. Oh, my God. So at this point, my interest is peaked. I'm like, yes, this is exciting. Like we could actually potentially talk to this guy. Although I honestly don't think it'd probably be that hard to get a hold of him because he doesn't seem like he's that out of reach. Um, and then um, the next one is I'm interested in being Sunil's millionaire slash multimillionaire working full or part-time. Then this is kind of where I stopped. <laughs> and I texted you about this. The next question is, I understand that the annual fee to join as an elite member is $10,000 with exclusive <laughs> bonuses. $10,000. And it says, it's like, it, it has, you have two options for that. You can either do it as a lump sum or they have a payment plan that they'll put you on. Oh, lucky you. They have a payment plan. And at first I was really shook. And then I was like, I realized that, oh, well, you know, it's probably 10,000 Canadian, which is like a little over 8,000 USD, which is a little bit more reasonable, you know, to become a millionaire. $8,000. Not... <laughs> I'm about uh, $7,900 short. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so maybe if we can ever figure out how to get crowdfunding working and people actually want to see me go through this program. Uh, I, but no, not really. I don't want to give this shit bag any money. If you're listening in the future, subscribe to the uh, If You Catch My Grist Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not putting money to this guy. I'm not giving you money. I'll use that money for something much more uh, beneficial to society and not this asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, uh, update on my week on my Ancient Aliens adventure. They emailed me back. Oh, yeah. Evans Again. Gaten. Yeah. They raised the price. It's now $30 cash. Oh, God. To get, <laughs> to get their book. You think they had like a run on it after, you know, like just recently a lot of people gotten interested in that? Has there just been like the the HBO show or documentary came out? There's been like a renewed interest in these guys. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that might be something to do with it. But so they're like, well, let's man. make some money. Let's make some money, baby. Marshall Applewhite, <laughs> he's been dead a long time. We got to figure out how to monetize this. This the what's left of this cult, which actually probably is now just a grift at this point. Even though maybe they're true believers. I don't, I don't know. know, man. Like, I think in the beginning it was. I think we might need to cover ancient aliens one day. Maybe that can be a it's not dol- ancient aliens. We already covered ancient aliens. Fuck, man. What am it's I? Heaven's Gate. About? <laughs> Heaven, oh my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
Folks, <laughs> right out of the gate, this one's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I slept like three hours last night. <laughs> but uh, I think we eventually might need to cover Heaven's Gate. Because uh, in the beginning, I think it was a grift. I don't think that... Uh, was it T or Doe that was the, the woman? Who was the, who was the wife? Uh, Doe. I think Doe was in on the grift. Yeah. And because she was mailing her daughter like throughout the whole thing until she died. And it, according to the rules, they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to have like complete cut off from non-believers. Yeah, but, but I didn't ever get the sense that they were like stealing money. Like they actually earned money. They were web developers and they had like day jobs and things like that. I don't know. I don't know if they're so, they're the one cult I think that's so different and weird because they just didn't want anything to do with like weird, you know, like, sexual fantasies of the founder of the cult leader and they didn't have anything to do with like stealing everybody's money and i feel like most of those most cults when you think about cults have one of those two things going on yeah i, I think you could be right but i do know t was a true believer like he was yeah he was obviously Marshall. to the grave <laughs> like he was yeah, he was down for it. I mean, as much as you could be a fan of a cult, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, I do, I do, I, I am really fascinated by Heaven's Gold, Heaven's Gold, Heaven's Gate. <laughs> I do want one of those uh, sweet ass Heaven's Gate away team shirts. Like, <laughs> they look so cool. It's got the like little pocket print, and then it says away team on the back. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> Uh, where do you get those? You probably have to custom print them at this uh, point. There are, there's bootlegs out there. You can yeah, find I imagine. Anything else exciting with you? Uh, not really, man. Just trying to get ready for this trip. Just trying to get put outfits together. I, outfits. I had Jesus Dalton. I gotta be prepared, man. Like our uh, mutual friend Josh was telling me, like, hey man, just bring like two shirts, two shorts, two pairs of underwear, you'll be fine. And I can't do that. Like, That's... even if I go if I go somewhere overnight, I'm bringing at least three outfits because you'll never know what's gonna happen. What if I spill a drink on myself? What if I like run out into the road and get hit by a car and I'm fine, but I just have torn up clothes on me? You know, you just you gotta be prepared, man. <laughs> Josh clearly didn't know you very well. You're far more of a diva than he ever would have <laughs> anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta pack a spin a night bag wherever I go. Well, it's because most of the photos that you put are like you in shorts, it's just like your legs and flip flops. And he's like, Oh, yeah, Dalton's he's like, No, when Dalton goes out, he's it's a different animal. I was gonna get some, uh, like a romper overall type deal. I sent you the picture of yep. it, but it was like a tie dye red, white, and blue. Uh, had overall straps and they were shorts, but they're $139. Jesus, yeah, that's so a I, was lot. Like, I was like, No fucking way, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot for a romper. You probably get beat up in Atlanta for wearing or in Georgia for wearing. <laughs> I don't think you'll get beat up. I just think you'll get a little funny looks every now and then. Well, it depends on if you wear a shirt underneath it or not. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I think I think I could pull it off. I really think I could. Pull, I, that, that I didn't say. That I, I did not say you couldn't pull it off. I have every, I have no doubt in my mind that you could have pulled it off. You know, I work at like, for the listeners that don't know, I work at like a hard labor job. Like I'm working, working. And I work with a bunch of rednecks, right? And I'll show up in shorts that come halfway up my thigh and like with my pink green and or blue hair and i've had like multiple people multiple people come up and tell me like if there were anybody else we'd make so much fun of you but you pull that off i'm like yeah yeah man <laughs> you are a blue collar working class dude <laughs> blue collar working class diva 
diva. diva yeah. Sometimes a blue-haired, blue-collar, working-class diva. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, man. So what are we getting into today? So today, I've been wanting to do this guy for a long time. Um, we're going to be talking about James Strang and his epic grift, I guess is the, the best way. Epic in like scale, uh, not so much in how long he had it running because it, oh, no. <laughs> it did not last that long. It, this is going to be fun because I think there's like a history lesson. There's a lot of historical um, tidbits in this and there's a lot about the, the start of like American religions and this is leading up to the Civil War. So I think we're going to hit quite a bit. Um, so, you know, I've got the notes, but I think we're going to probably diverge from those quite a bit during this discussion. Um, so to start out on June 27th, 1844, Joseph Smith, the founder and the leader of the Church of Latter-day Saints, was murdered by a mob while in a jail cell awaiting trial. At the time, he was also running for the president of the United States. No fucking way. So this is the Mormon church. This is the founder and the leader of the Mormon right. church is killed while running for president while in a jail cell. That would be um, like, I don't know, like a Peter Popoff or like some like major religious figure in like mainstream Christianity were running for president. Which, now that I think about it, doesn't seem too far off. Nope, Pat Robertson, <laughs> Pat Robertson has done it. He ran in the uh, 80s. He's the guy, that old fucker on the 700 Club. Oh, man. Yeah. Have you seen, uh, speech note, speaking of diverging from the notes, have you seen the <laughs> a thing that... I uh, got a paragraph in. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's strap in, boys and girls. <laughs> Here we go. This, is, this one could go all night. <laughs> uh, have you seen the thing that Freeform puts in front of the 700 Club now? Before no. they air it? Ever since the uh, switch from ABC Family to Freeform. When it was with ABC Family, it would be like your basic... Uh, the views of the 700 Club do not necessarily represent the views of ABC Family, right? Now that it's on Freeform, Freeform is like, <laughs> the views of the 700 Club do not necessarily represent the views of Freeform. We are sorry for what you're about to see. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It, it's it's baffling to think that like ABC hosted his program for such a long time um, because he's such a horrendous piece of shit and a bigot. I mean, Dude. so, so blatant. I mean, it's just, it's incredible that Disney, I mean, no, it's not actually. Disney's a company was out to make money and he's got an audience. And so they're going to put it on the air regardless of, whatever they they whatever sort of stance they take publicly yeah but they must have signed like a million year contract right that's been on freeform slash abc family as long as i can remember it's probably cheap you know like if it's anything like all these other religious programs he might even buy the time slot and then he just raises his own advertising yeah but i still feel like it would be better off to cut your losses and lose all the money than get the bad pr you know what i mean they don't get the bad he gets all the bad pr it never drips off to the station that's true. That's just money. I think they. I think I, I would imagine that. It, I mean, it, it's probably paid program. I don't know that for sure, but it feels like all of those religious nutbags pay for their own programming. Yeah, but at this point, wouldn't they do better business on like a Fox News than they would a Freeform? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I was. Gonna, I thought you were going to say like the internet. I was gonna be like these old, old fucking <laughs> Pat Robinson don't understand the internet. <laughs> no, but Fox News would be like their target audience. Like that's I would just say, old white people. Yeah, but then, I don't know if they. <laughs> I think Fox still thinks it's a news channel. 
you know, like I think you could, you'd probably get them. You could probably get on like one America or there's other things, but like you get more eyeballs on Freeform. Yeah, that's you know, true. They have more viewers. Potentially, I mean, every basic channel, every basic cable package has Freeform. Right. So. so there you go. But this is not about Pat Robertson. This is about <laughs> James String. So getting back to where we were, Joseph Smith is killed, um, and this ends up causing like a huge crisis for the church because Smith has never named a successor nor has he put into place any sort of like secession plan so if he's if he dies now now the church people left in the church have no idea what to do so instantly the 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 church is fractured into a few different people because there's multiple people now claiming to be the rightful successor and it's a big mess for the church and one of those people is James Jesse Strang I love that name. Well, and interesting enough, he was actually born Jesse James String. And at some point when he was young, he flipped his first and his middle name. Why? God, why? Yeah. Oh, he could have had like, man, what a hell of a name. I think he just thought Jesse, because he either, everything after like he's a kid, he either goes by JJ String or James String or James J String. So he drops the Jesse, like the Jesse's just not part of it anymore. I think he must think that James is... That's so unfortunate. Think of the branding. So many yeah. branding opportunities. Well, you, you'll see later that James will come to make a little bit more sense than Jesse once we kind of get into to the latter part of this whole grift. Um, <laughs> but, but so as he's a kid, he's well, he's a really sickly kid. He's always out of school. He's always come down with something. Um, he's also, everybody says he's weird looking and I've seen pictures and I don't think he's that weird looking, but everybody says he's got like these like big eyes and a huge sloping forehead. And it's some, like, it's a description that comes up over and over again. Um, and he's tiny. He's like, he's like five foot two. He's this like little weirdo who (laughs) was always sick when he was a kid. Um, he estimates that by the time he was 12, he attended a total of six months of school. In, in those all those years so wow no formal schooling but he's really really smart and he's yeah. an avid reader and he just like consumes everything that he can and just anything you put in front of him he'll read and so he's he's very much self-taught in that way which i think is i think is interesting and i also think it just shows you how smart this guy is um well, stuff like that was possible back then right give me a time frame for this where are we at uh this is this would be the early 1800s i believe he was born in 1813 okay never mind i was gonna make a comparison to my grandpa about the uh oh, their schooling thing this is yeah, pre, this was, is pre-civil war this is like this is a long time ago well the point i was gonna bring up is my grandfather dropped out of school in kindergarten and went and worked on his parents farm and later on in life he wound up becoming the general manager of like a, ware- a warehouse called brockway in yep. a few towns over and he was in charge of like millions and millions and millions of dollars at that warehouse so back then it was more reasonable to not have schooling still be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the case here. I think I get the feeling he would have stayed in school, but you know, like when he was there, his, the uh, teachers all thought he was really stupid because he was sick all the time and he looked a little <laughs> oh, weird. No. And so he just didn't, he, I think he just said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Like my health is always in question. I'd much, much rather just kind of read and pace myself. And this is bullshit. I'm going home. Yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> Take my ball and leave. He was, he also had like this fantasy and he wrote about it in some of his journals before he got older. He had this fantasy of like power, like he craved power. 
clearly mm. a theme that we've seen with some of these guys in the past but he <laughs> he wasn't so much about like wealth and becoming as rich as he could like you saw ponzi was like i want all the give me all the money um he was like i want to be a king or a president or a senator you know he he had like this fantasy about marrying uh, queen victoria and ruling by her side because she's a very powerful queen i mean this was more than just england they had a lot of very a lot ambitious of colonies. yeah very ambitious or like um he was like i said he was kind of a small man so he really admired uh napoleon because napoleon was you know the the napoleon gets a rap about being five foot seven and everybody's like oh he's a tiny little man well yeah but I'm wait hold up motherfucker i'm five foot seven yeah i was just saying <laughs> five foot seven it's it's actually a really normal height and especially at the time the people that, re- that give him a hard time is because apparently he employed guards that were much much taller than him like a requirement to be one of his bodyguards was you had to be over six feet so like he's in the middle of these big tall people and so everybody kind of that he became his caricature was oh you're a little short guy but he wasn't he was not that short he was normal sized so when when he was 20 he started apprenticing with the with a local law firm um but basically he was just doing a bunch of like clerical jobs he was attending trials in court to kind of learn and but more than that he was reading every legal book that he could get his hands on so the lawyer had you know access to a small library which you don't usually have access to and he just consumed everything that he could See, I didn't um, even know they like had lawyers back then. I just thought they settled in the street, turned your back, walked three paces. No, lawyers have <laughs> been around for a long time. <laughs> long time. Um, you feel lucky, punk. <laughs> <laughs> so in um, 1836, he was 23 years old and he was admitted to the New York bar. So he never went to law school. And honestly, that's not a very uncommon thing at this point. Like he just oh, was, wow. he was smart enough. You didn't have to go to law school. There were, there probably weren't a lot of established like law programs in the way that you think about them now, but he passed the bar. So he was able to practice in New York, which is where he's from. Listen, man, I kind of, uh, kind of not hating James, James Strang right now. Nope. None of them I hate him from, I gotta say there's, I, well, we'll get to the end, but I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this guy. It's not a, he's not in my like, oh my God, you're a terrible human, but like, <laughs> you know, he's, he, it's very mixed. Um, so he opened a law practice and it did not do well. It failed almost immediately. It just oh, no. wasn't getting any, any money. So he had to take on a job as the local postmaster to make ends meet, and which is a, at the time, he was doing the postmaster part-time and then still trying to run his little law office. Um, it's also interesting that the postmaster positions were political appointees at this time. So oh, wow. he was a longtime supporter of the Democratic Party. And so there was a Democratic uh, president and the president names all the postmasters. And that's so, and it usually just gives it to people that are loyal to the party. Okay, so it's less an elected uh, position and more of a, uh, depending on who's in office at that time. Yeah, it's patronage, just like like yeah. ambassadorships, like to other countries. Those are given to people who donate a lot of money today. Okay, so yeah, so that's so he's there. Um, he was. He also saw that the postmaster position oftentimes was a vehicle to hold higher office, and eventually. Um, Lincoln would be elected to president and he actually started as a postmaster as well. I mean, String had no way of knowing this because Lincoln was not on his radar at this point really at all. But 
there were there were a lot of people that jumped into politics because you know they were party loyalists they got as a postmaster and they kind of worked their way up however his tenure was fraught with accusations of fraud and corruption and when the Whig party took back the white house he was fired um and the Whig party was the second big party so it was the democrats and the Whigs, and you wouldn't see an actual republican party for a few more years did the republican party exist at the time or it's just like minor minor party they were minor minor at this point um but they they have never held the white house and they just they were not a big party lincoln was their first candidate to ever hold the white house okay so he's he's coming he'll be after this story's over but he's he's coming and it's interesting because the um the democratic party was sort of split between north and south not not surprising most of the northern democrats were abolitionists all of the southern democrats were pro-slavery and so when the republican party came about they were they were abolitionists they were anti-slavery and so you saw a lot of the northern democrats jump to the republican party um when that happened there was this is this is about the time where all like the parties kind of shake up and then the wig gets the party gets knocked out of existence and then it just becomes democratic and republican for the rest of American history up until eternity. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is when it's happening. It all happens really over slavery, and then everything changes again at the civil rights uh, in the civil rights era in the sixties and seventies. That kind of flipped at the civil rights era, right? Yep, they completely flipped from where they were. So that's why when people are like, you know, the, the party of Lincoln was anti-slavery. Yeah, but that's not the Republican Party anymore. Like it, yeah. it, there was a whole flip, and but they're right. I mean, Lincoln was an abolitionist, and a lot of Northern Democrats were abolitionists and joined that party. But see, it's, I, it's, thought, it's, I always heard that like Lincoln wasn't like the hero that people make him out to be. I don't I, think I, anybody is the hero that they get written about, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because they had slaves at the White House. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, there's a whole thing without getting too far into that where it was like. You know, the, the um, Emancipation Proclamation technically only freed the Southern slaves, not the Northern slaves, but it's, it's messy. And there's a lot of historians that will fucking argue this. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't do anything because at that point no. it was two separate countries. Right, he couldn't. He, he couldn't, couldn't tell the them what to do. He couldn't free the slaves in the South because they weren't listening to him. They didn't recognize him as a leader. But anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> this <is> about Lincoln. <laughs> so he's fired. He's removed as a postmaster and kind of adding insult to injury, the U.S. Treasury claimed that he owed them $14.41 from being overpaid while he was in the role. So they're like, what? You're fired and you owe us money. How does that work? I don't know. It just was something That sounds that, like a payroll problem to me. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> hey, it's already, the check cleared. Sorry, you're not getting it back. <laughs> So he is, he's doesn't have a job. He's, he's just, I mean, he's, he's broke. And so he decides that he's going to try his hand at real estate speculation. Um, and in the thirties, which the 1830s where we were, there was a time, it was a time of massive federal land transfers and Strang saw that he could make some money. Um, by 1836, something like 72,000 square miles of land had transferred from public to private hands. So you still have everything not owned by private people was owned by the government, all this land, you know, like we were still expanding. And so the government would come in and they would do surveys of the land and they would decide what we wanted, that what they wanted to keep for themselves. And then they would sell everything off to just regular schmoes or anybody that had okay. money and at pretty reasonable prices for the time. Like you had to have money, but you know, it, it was affordable, fairly. You get affordable. it done a lot easier than you could today. Right. As well, I found out. 
<laughs> yes. If you uh, listen to past episodes, I did not get the house that I was trying to get. <laughs> a little bit bitter, if you can't I tell. I was going to say, I'm, I'm surprised you're laughing about it. Uh, you can laugh through the pain. Yeah. So, <laughs> as now, which was then, land is land means wealth regardless like it, it always means wealth it's something that you can pass down through generations you actually have physically something to show for it i mean it's land equals wealth and then you know you get into like landowners being the only people allowed to vote and there's all kinds of other stuff so people were really hungry for this land and what that led to was people buying land and then from the government and then quickly reselling it at an increased value and it got okay bananas very so playing, very it's like an quickly. 1800s version of flip this house yes but but <laughs> i mean to give you an idea there was uh one example was there was a piece of property that sold for 500 an acre uh when they bought it from the government and they turned around in a year and sold it for ten thousand dollars an acre mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, 1800s money too so that's yep. like quite a quite it a was, bit a ton of money people were making a lot of money but they were also doing it so often like it wasn't really the cash wasn't exchanging hands it was like banknotes and loans and offers and it got really complicated and then guess what happened there was a great panic called the panic of 1837 and it just exploded the banks i mean i'm glad all, you just told me i would have never guessed that i was like, i saw your face and you <laughs> were like, like i was like help help me no, help me you just like got closer to the microphone like please tell me i don't i, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about i don't know <laughs> yeah it's called the panic of 1837 it was so was it just like a great confusion like nobody knew who owned anything so it was a depression because it just like there was so much money kind of going in and out and so yeah there was a little bit of that there, the land speculation was a part of the depression but it really it knocked a lot of people in their asses they i mean hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs uh, banks stopped lending money if they didn't go out of business altogether um and then, you know, what happened was most of the land speculation was built on IOUs. And so then these banks are like, you need to give me this money. And everybody's like, well, we're broke. Like, we, we have to default on this money. So I want to read you something from a very, very good book called The King of Confidence by Miles Harvey. And I highly recommend this. I don't always recommend the books that I do a lot of research from. Some of them are very old. Some are very boring. But this one is really, really good. Some of them really are good. of the gods. Some of them are chariot of the gods. <laughs> so in it, Miles, uh, this is Miles Harvey says, Strang was a shuffler of the first order, paying one creditor with a bank note from a bank that no longer existed while attempting to convince another that someone had stolen a payment after he'd put it in the mail. To support this claim, he not only offered a probable route the letter had traveled, but a theory about where presumptive theft had taken place. He had a gift for telling stories, for convincing other people of even the most outlandish assertions. But over time, as one after another of those claims proved to be false, fewer and fewer lo locals were willing to take him at his word. Oh, it's a hustler, baby. I like it. He was it. shuffling, man. He was shuffling <laughs> that money. Shuffling that money. But in the end, broke. Just completely broke. He blew through all of his life savings and amassed crazy amounts of debt that he just wasn't going to ever be able to get out from under. Yeah, but I could see like where he was, if he was, I could see how this would work though. He's using his experience as a postmaster to kind of like give them realistic sounding stories of how the letters traveled. 100%. And whenever 
if even if you're like your lies based on that one grain of truth, it kind of like leads you to believe like, okay, he's telling the truth. Yeah. And so I, I really think what's interesting, and we, we talked about this with past people too, is the careers that they have before they start their grift definitely always pl- like come back to play into their grift. So he's a lawyer that's going to come back into play. He's a postmaster. It's already come into play and it's going to come into play again. And he has a third job, which he's about to jump into, which is a publisher of a newspaper. And so he tries his hand as a publisher. And this really comes back into play because he becomes a very good uh, and skilled writer. And this is, I think those are kind of like the, the three points of his career that come together for this, you know, to create this major grifter. Um, Man, his career trajectory is like all over the place. (laughs) As a lawyer, then he's a mailman, then he's a writer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A publisher. He had a, newspaper called the randolph herald and it was a weekly newspaper and there's literally from what i can tell only one um issue that's still in existence (laughs) like he it was around for about a year before it went bust but only one issue existed and one of the articles and it was called (laughs) oh god this is so typical how to make money <laughs> man i wish it, but he wishes he had that article when they're trying to trick the banks <laughs> so, so the wild thing is is like it's full of really practical tips like real actual practical tips to to make a fortune and wait so there's no trick here no and but he the thing he didn't follow any of the tips that he published like <laughs> So where is he pulling this from? I, I don't know. Maybe someone else wrote it. I don't know. It's just like, it was, they're very concrete, like practical tips for how to amass a fortune and save it. But this fucking idiot can't follow <laughs> his own prescription. And he's not stupid. Again, I have to say he's not stupid. This guy is not a dummy. <laughs> but it's like those people that like they're always good at giving advice but they never follow their yeah, own but advice. they can't follow their own advice absolutely <laughs> it's 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 exactly that that's 100 percent what it was and, and he's just it's yeah it cracks me up so he's broke he's busted and he's in like serious serious debt um he does what everybody in that situation would do what do you think that is false bankruptcy no he fakes his own death <laughs> of course <laughs> that's, what, that's what a normal person would do right yep. he fakes his death he's married he's got a he's got a couple of kids and he fakes his own death and hey listen man i know people that filed bankruptcy you might be better off faking your own death ain't that truth, ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah he he fakes his own death and disappears and he sort of stages his own murder site without any blood or anything it's uh, and he's gone. He's Incredible. leaving New York. He's out of Western New York. And I he... love this dude. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would. I even texted you that. I was like, Dalton, you're gonna have fun with this one. You're gonna you're gonna scream on this one. Um. So he ended up moving to Wisconsin. His his wife's brother is there. So his brother in law is there and says, "Come on out to Wisconsin. It's it's very different than it is in Western New York." So he goes out there and opens an, another law office with his um, with a friend of his from New York named Caleb Barnes. Um, and so they they're they're out in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is actually not even a state at this point; it's just a territory. 
Yeah, it's just cheese country. That's just where you go to get your cheese, man. It grows out the cheese plants on the ground. You know cheese, how cheese Those work. cheese trees. Yeah, the, the cheese trees, man. Just fields and fields of them everywhere you look. Everywhere you look. It's like fields of yellow. <laughs> this is my American crop. This is my Swiss crop. This is my Munster. Munster. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Wisconsin. It's uh, He ends up in a town that's mostly settlers from Western New York, where he was. And there's actually a pretty big Mormon presence in the town, which I think is his initial tip off to, hey, what is this religion that, that these people are practicing with or practicing in? Um, so he's got his law office. He opens the law office with his partner. And then that actually brings him on business to uh, a town where he will be converted into Mormonism. So how, give me the like, explain like I'm five version of Mormonism. Like, how is it different than uh, mainstream Christianity? So Mormonism is a purely American religion. And it is based, it does have like a lot of the uh, Christian Judeo aspects to it, but it kind of presupposes, it not kind of, it presupposes that there were, there was an ancient Judeo-Christian civilization in North America and that they had a different rule of things and they left behind this evidence of, their, their society and the founder of the church founded, and he was able to write those, you know, what the, the basically transcribe what those elders and that ancient civilization was into the book of Mormon. Okay. So it's, it's so a basically purely, America was the Holy land. Yeah. And it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's like the most pure American religion there is because it was invented here. These guys get into politics. We'll talk a little bit about the the, the church and kind of what happens okay. as we get into it. But yeah, it's it's definitely like um, it's a it's a religion that is a reaction to America. Is the best way I can put it. USA, USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> so so straying since the age of nineteen. That and probably further back than that, we just have his journals from when he was 19, was a staunch and avowed atheist. He had oh, no wow. time for religion. He didn't believe in anything. His father was a Baptist. He wanted no part of that. He was very almost anti-religion at this point, which is it's pretty bold in that time, but it was very pronounced. And then suddenly, you know, he ends up in this town called Nauvoo, Illinois, which is right at that time, the headquarter of the Mormon church. And that's where Joseph Smith is stationed in Nauvoo. Um, what was you say? It's like when I was in Clearwater, all them fucking Scientologists, man, they're everywhere. <laughs> exactly. It's like, Hey man, you want to say this pamphlet? No, no, I don't <laughs> you scare me. <laughs> yeah. They set up in a town. That's very much, that's a very, um, it's very much a thing that religions do is they, they go into a town and they essentially take over that town and that becomes a safe haven. Have you ever been to Clearwater, Florida? Nope. Dude, like downtown Clearwater, not Clearwater beach, but downtown Clearwater is basically just the church of Scientology. It's the tallest building that's in downtown. That's all you can see for blocks. And there's just everywhere in the little fucking white button up shirts and fucking just just blank eyes. It's dude. It's terrifying. (laughs) It's like, hey, man, you want this pamphlet? No, man, I just want to get my Starbucks. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will say at this point that Smith's, Joseph Smith's reputation was already well known across the United States because they're like, well, who is this guy starting this religion? It's, this is like, a, this is a, it's it's a sort of a, I, I'd say he kind of gets treated like a freak show. You know, like, like, oh, this guy is crazy, clearly. But now all these people are following him. So what's up with that? Um, 
And it what happened was is he sets up in Nauvoo and a lot of people go to Nauvoo to meet the prophet. They want to meet this guy because they've heard about him. They've read about him in the papers. They're like, what's going on with this guy? Um, and a lot of them, once they meet him, convert because he's a very charismatic leader. He's someone that really, yeah, really charms you into it. I mean, he has a huge following at this point. I mean, we're talking like tens of thousands of people are following Joseph Smith at this point. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little weird what actually happened. Um, he met with, with Smith and people are, you know, they formed a few different theories about it. Uh, one was that Strang's, Strang had a daughter who had recently died, a very young daughter who had died. And it seemed to really kind of shake his foundation, which okay. is totally understandable. I yeah. mean, like anybody could react that way. It, when you um, have trauma like that, you're just, you're looking for anything to hold on to. Yeah. They keep you sane, really. Yeah. Yeah. Or it just was a lot of people like it was just Joseph Smith. Like you meet this guy. And you want to be part, like he can sell what he's doing so well that you just want to be a part of what he's doing. Well, if you want to be a head of a church, even like from being a preacher to being like the figurehead of this uh, form of religion, like Joseph Smith was, like you've got to be a salesman. Yep. You got to be charismatic, whether you're a true believer or not, just to get people like on your side. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's, I also think that part of it was the city of Nauvoo itself. Um, it, it, it was, the, the city was thriving, um, where, and, and what had happened was Smith and his followers showed up and they created the city almost out of nothing. I mean, there were people there before, but it was really them putting the work in and putting this thing together. And actually at the time it rivaled Chicago in size. So it was about, it was pretty much the same size as Chicago, Chicago, which was the biggest city in Illinois, which is if impressive. you build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the town. They this is these are notable things that the town had. Is it had two sawmills, a flour mill, a foundry, a brewery, a brick factory, a tannery, a book bindery, and a match factory. So I mean, it was an industrious town. Where the fuck are the WalMarts? Where's Starbucks at? Where's the Targets, man? I ain't going to this town. This little podunk. I got all this shit here. But you, you, like, you, like, you go and you're like, this is a utopia, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is a utopia that in, you know, just five years is how long that took them to build this. Town. Oh, wow. Okay. That's I mean, impressive. It wasn't long. It wasn't long. Um, and and that's, that's because Mormons have been chased out of pretty much every place they've settled in. And they just keep moving west. You know, they, they got chased out of New York and then they were in Ohio and Missouri. And now they're in Illinois. So what, what made them chase them out? What is it just like the, I'm, I don't want to say blasphemy, but is it what the people of the 1800s would consider blasphemy? It's just like, oh, you guys are not following the Bible, blah, blah, blah. A little of that, but I don't think a lot of that. I mean, people might've said that that was the reason. I think it's more that they pissed people off because they'd come in and they'd literally take over the, the town. They would take okay. over everything. Like they took over, they would take over the local government. They would start up their own businesses that rivaled other businesses and put those businesses out of war, you know, work. You know, like, I mean, if a Mormon in a Mormon town, if a Mormon shoe seller put up a shop, all the Mormons would go there and the other shoe seller that was there before wouldn't have any business. Right. I mean, oh, they like, okay. literally overtake this town. And we'll, we'll talk a lot more about this as we go, because it becomes like a big theme in in this history, but also in the Mormon history as a whole. So they just built their own utopia, basically. Yeah, they just take they take over an existing town and they build it bigger and they take over. And that leads to a lot of hostility. 
with the locals and you see that a lot it's not just with mormons i mean there was a a a documentary on netflix and i'm blanking on the name but it was about a a, wild wild west yes that it's the exact same thing that happened in that and that was in the 70s 60s and 70s so it's like not terribly uncommon for something like that to happen yeah man uh yeah i know what you're talking about now that that was crazy look at the i mean well this one is drenched in heavily in racism but look at like black wall street in uh tulsa you know we're in the 100 year anniversary of that like you know this the black community was thriving they built their own little town and the white people got threatened went killed 300 people burned the place down i mean it was with the backing of the u.s military let's not leave that out yeah no absolutely (laughs) it's fucking horrendous but it it, it, that's something that you see over and over again and it's and sometimes it's about like othering people and the differences of people but i think a lot of times it's because like hey why are they successful like how are they you know doing this or they've taken over our town anyway that's the thing that's going to come up a lot getting back to string i think I don't think it had very much to do with his daughter. I don't think it had a whole lot to do with Joseph Smith. I think he saw money to be made in this new religion. Oh, okay. Here's why. Specifically, I I think that he saw an opportunity to set up a chapter or a sect in Wisconsin. And so he was like, hey, if I can convince the founder to let me run a chapter in Wisconsin when there's already about 100 Mormons and, you know, we can recruit more, maybe I can make some money on this. You know what? That's not a bad plan. Right? <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So initially, the, the, the rumor is, and there's nothing on paper, this is that he and his law partner and his brother-in-law had the idea to go and buy a bunch of land in Wisconsin where they were going to set up the settlement and then they could resell that back to the Mormons who wanted to settle there and make some money. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that ultimately didn't work out for reasons that we'll get into, but um, String and Smith did have a conversation about setting up a Wisconsin territory. So it's something that they actually did talk about. So um, how do you even bring that up there? Because I feel like I'm not a smooth talker. So I feel like the minute I'd be like, hey, man, uh, what about setting up a church in Wisconsin? I can uh, I can be the leader, you know? <laughs> well, I think he was a smooth talker. I think he's really confident. You know, I think he I think he impressed Joseph Smith, you know, and, and he was like, hey, if I get, let me talk to this guy. I could sell him on this idea. And, right. you know, maybe Joseph Smith saw, saw somebody who's like, this guy's got my gift, you know, like he's got the hustle, like we can smell it on our own. Or right. I, I don't know. I don't know actually what happened, but um, he impressed Joseph Smith at some point. And on February 25th, 1844, he was baptized by Smith himself. So he was baptized into the church. A week later, he was ordained as a priest or an elder in the Mormon church by Smith's older brother, Hiram. So wow, moving fast. So and and I thought that too. And when I read it, and so I actually consulted a friend of mine who's a Mormon who's in in the church, and he's a pretty elevated position in the church. And so I asked him, and he said, you know, if you go, if you're young, you know, and are you like born into the church? It takes a little while, but if you join it older, you could become a priest or an elder within. It's not a priest; it's an elder, but within a week. And so I was like, oh, that's because I didn't set him up. I didn't tell him what it was, but they'll. They sort of, if you're an older convert, you move along a little quicker. See, that seems really strange to me. I, I don't, Does I it? don't know. Yeah, because like you've only been in this religion a week. How do you know enough to be an elder? I think, I mean, I think that you, as an older person, if you're coming into a religion freely after experiencing 
life or X number of, of, you know, life experiences, I think that you really have made the decision seriously and you've put a lot of thought behind it. Whereas if you're a kid, you don't have a choice. That's true. That makes and, sense. And, and you like, as a kid, if you're raised on this, a lot of the time, the reaction is rebel against it. And so they want to make sure that they want to put you to the test to make sure that you are in, you know, right. whereas if you're an older person and you've converted from whatever your faith system was before, like that's really traumatic and drastic. Yeah. And I'm guessing they're assuming that you've already done your research on this religion coming right. in. Exactly. Like you're ready to join. You've gone through the paces. You know what you want out of a religion. And this is what it is. I, that's that's my guess. I didn't actually probe that deeply because that wasn't a question I asked him at first. I had to text him later on as I was getting deeper into the research. <laughs> so tell me more about this interview. Like, the, not, not an interview. Like, was it an interview? I don't know much about this. The conversation between? Oh, with yeah. the, oh I mean, yeah. the, my interview. Yeah. Just a friend of mine that, uh, like I said, is in the Mormon faith, and he he he's very serious about it. We're kind of like very opposite people, but uh, you know we get along well. And I, I asked him if I could. I had some a few questions as I was pulling all this together, just some some practical stuff because I didn't want to misrepresent, uh, you know, what I'm talking about, which is very right. easy for me to do. Uh, and I feel like that was the best way. I felt like that was the best way to do it. And he was great. He was he was very open. I know a lot because I'm just not a lot, but I know a good amount because I'm just sort of curious about these kind of things. So it already had a decent base. And I think that always impressed him that I was like, I can, I know, I know a, a little bit about a lot of things yeah. <laughs> about your faith. And so I just have some more specific questions. And so we went into that. I thought it was fascinating. Well, congratulations, Austin. Look at you doing a journalism. Yeah. Congratulations. I had a friend. <laughs> 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 oh, i'm so happy for you and your friendship thank you i appreciate it <laughs> uh well so he's he's baptized and then he's he's promoted to the status of elder three months later joseph smith is dead what yep oh wow who you uh, talking about getting in at the right time yep that was that's so uh, we're back at the very beginning with joseph smith being shot and killed <laughs> oh man so i this we we've talked about this a little bit because you're always talking ahead of my notes because that's just what you do <laughs> but i just wanted like set up like what the events that sort of led up to smith's death just to kind of give you an idea of how ugly and violent these these interactions were with local the non-mormons and i'm going to call them a few different things over the course of this thing just forgive me because I'll sometimes call them genteels, which is what the Mormons called them. Sometimes I'll call them anti-Mormons or non-Mormons or, you know, those, those are going to be the three I'll sort of stick with just because, okay. you know, but they're interchangeable. It's all the same people. Um, so the Nauvoo Expositor, Expositor, maybe one of those two, is a newly established newspaper created by a group of non-Mormons and others who had seceded from the church and they published their first and only issue on June 7th, 1844. It was highly, highly critical of Joseph Smith and other church leaders. And it reported on rumors of polygamy, secret sex within the church, and claiming that Smith intended to set himself up as a theocratic king, introducing false and damnable doctrines into the church. Ah. So these are, these are the non-Mormons, I would even say a lot of them are the enemies of the church, you know, people that they, they pissed off on the way and they've got this the newspaper. However, 
Joseph Smith, in addition to being the head of the church, was also the mayor of the town of Nauvoo. Hmm. And so he was furious about this, and he claimed that the, the charges in the paper were libelous, and with the backing of the city council, also comprised of Mormons, of he ordered that the printing press be destroyed and burned as a public nuisance. Doesn't that just prove them right? Yeah. Like, this dude, is, he's a religious figure. He's the leader of the church. He's the mayor of the town, and he controls the city council. He's just doing, he, he took all the steps to make sure that everything they said about him was right. Yeah, but he's, it's also self-preservation because, I mean, he's done this. This has happened to the Mormons over and over and over again. This is like, I think, the third or fourth city that they've had to settle in because they've literally been chased off by fear of death from other places. They're actually looking in there. There was a, a, a there were three mormon wars in the united states that you never hear about in wow. the textbooks where it's just you know mil local militias getting involved and forming up and these you know posses coming in and started shooting and killing mormons um and that was a thing now on the flip side of that the mormons were also not very kind to a lot of native americans uh and they cleared out a lot of native american settlements and took over that in their sort of westford you know, expansion and conquest. So it's, it, there's a lot of bloodshed in this period regarding yeah. like settling down into these, these cities. Uh, manifest dusting my fucking asshole. Yeah. Manifest dusting was not clean and sweet. <laughs> it, was not, it was not pretty. Um, yeah. it, so this destroying the press was like the final straw for people in the area. They wanted blood and they really wanted the Mormon blood. Um, on June 17th, which is about a, 10 days after um, after he destroys the press, he, Smith, and his older brother Hiram and 15 other Mormons were arrested on charges of rioting, which resulted in the destruction of the printing press. So they, they, they did arrest him. However, they were brought to court in Nauvoo, but since the Mormons ran the city, they were quickly released. So they were, and this just like it just continues to make people upset like it's just absolutely both sides are going crazy um the anti-mormons started forming up into local militias to take things into their own hands and this is something that smith had seen before so seeing smith learned his lesson from being chased out of town after town after town and so now he's formed what's called the nauvoo legion which is the mormon militia and he of course, is the lieutenant general of the legion because he's the okay, mayor. It wouldn't have it any other way. Right. He's the mayor. He's the prophet. He's the lieutenant general. But just to give you an idea, this is a huge, huge armed army, really, just like a private army. It has um, 2,500 troops. And if you compare that to the total troops in the U.S. Army at the time, which was only 8,500. Oh, wow. This dude has like Mormon Blackwater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this eventually, or actually not even eventually, very quickly gets to the governor of Illinois, whose name is Thomas Ford. And he warned Smith that if he didn't turn himself in for trial in Carthage, which was the, the capital, I mean, not the capital, the county seat. So that's where in that county that was there, um, that he would call in the state militia and absolutely level Nauvoo. And so I think... Smith got the idea pretty quickly. He was like, nah, I don't think so. That's not a good idea. So <laughs> um, Ford had promised him protection and a fair trial. So Smith turned himself in. Um, after hearing after hearing the next afternoon, he and his brother and a few other uh, of the leadership were released on bond. 
But then the same day, new charges of treason against the state were filed and the Smiths were rearrested, put in jail, this time without a hearing. Um, it was not on the orders of the governor this, this time, but rather it came from an anti-Mormon justice of the peace and a local militia leader. So they're, they're kind of taking this back. They're like, we finally got him out of Nauvoo. We're going to take this into our own hands. Mm, don't like that. Yeah. Well, you're not going to like this other part either. So two days later, while they're in jail, over 100 armed men stormed the jail and killed both Smith and his brother and a few other, few other guys. Man, that's just, that ain't right. Yep. And I think they, they shot his brother in the head and they shot him in his chest as he was trying to jump out of a second story window. And after he got shot, he actually did jump out and fell to the ground and he died on the ground. Yeah, that sucks. That's, uh, I can see why the Mormon faith got so popular then. This guy, he died a martyr. Well, and they've had to fight for their existence wherever they went. You know, yeah. like they, it, it's really easy to put up like that, that enemies narrative, right? Like everybody's out to get us because they don't, they're afraid of what we're saying. So just a few days later, uh, actually, I'm sorry, even it was the same day, uh, but later in the evening, String would claim that an angel came to him that the angel anointed his head with oil and ordained him as the ruler of God's people. He would say, and this is a quote from him, thou shalt save his people from their enemies. While the day of the wicked at death shalt thou prepare a refuge for the oppressed and for the poor and needy. Absolutely classless. <laughs> Holy shit. Yep. He's like, the body is not even cold. I am <laughs> gonna take over this church. Oh man, my man saw an opportunity and he took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something you can't accuse him of not of doing. Yeah, he became he he claimed to be the one true prophet and the rightful successor to Joseph Smith. He began telling all anybody who would listen at this point that um, Smith had only days before his death told Strang that he was to be the next leader of the church. So he's going around going, Smith told me that I was taking over. This motherfucker just got here. I know. <laughs> I, know. The, I, I, I would assume there'd be more than one, right? There's more than one swindler in this group. There has to be. There has to be more than one person who's like, oh, he told me. The hour's going to be a successor. Probably, but he's the good one. He's the best one at it. And I mean, and and really, there were there were several people that kind of claimed to be the successor. It came down to three really the major ones at this time. Um, one of them was Brigham Young, who okay. was the, who the, the senior leadership. He's 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 a big figure in Mormonism. Um, one of them was a guy named uh, Sidney Rigdon, who was running as Smith's vice presidential candidate. And he was, you know, very senior in the leadership. Um, so they were both. Uh, and then claiming, the new guy. And then this new guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's like, he, it's funny. It's like he, he shifts from a land grab, like a real estate play with, with selling, you know, this, this land in Wisconsin that he doesn't own yet to, I'm going to just take over the whole religion. Like, this is my moment. Don't just take over a part of it or, you know, take a little territory. Take the whole thing. There's money to be made. There's something that uh, a man named L. Ron Hubbard once said, if you want to make money, start a religion. Yeah, it's true. This is, I mean, this is, he's operating on that, in that space. And it's just, it's just crazy because like you said, he's the newcomer. He's this guy, he's a complete outsider. And now he's claiming to be handpicked by Joseph Smith to take over. Right, you got Baptist like baptized like two weeks ago, the three months. But yeah, oh, 
I don't know, in time, you know, two two weeks, three months, who knows? Yeah, but it, that's not a long time, considering that he's got people that have been around him for years and like the senior leadership that have been. Oh, they years. must have been furious. Oh, they hated him. I mean, like that's that's Brigham Young. I think legitimately couldn't stand Strang because I think he saw right through him. Um, one thing about Brigham Young is he was not charismatic. And he's not a very friendly guy. And I, I even Mormons will tell you that. Like Mormons will go, yeah, not like, kind of a little prickly. But he was smart and he was very organized and he was very businesslike. And but he, I think he saw through Strang's bullshit right away and really did not like him. And really was like, absolutely not this guy. Just, just how I like my religions to operate like a business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you almost have to though. That's look at Scientology. Yeah, man. They uh, it's changed it's a they changed the game, man. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it should be it it should be also noted that Brigham Young was in Boston when Smith was killed, and it took him until July 9th um, to actually hear about that it was an assassination. So he had about two weeks. News traveled slow. Two weeks after the murders, he finds out, and he's like, "I got to get back." to Nevu. meanwhile strang is like i'm the guy look at me look at, i'm here you know <laughs> he's a little guy so you gotta give him a little hey man look at me i'm over here man i run a yeah. collision now man. Yep. come on come with me come with me don't, don't think just come i'm the prophet i'm the prophet <laughs> smith said so and then like young's not there to defend himself like he's strang's going crazy the same day that Young finds out about the assassination, also it just so happens that um, Strang claims to have received a letter from Joseph Smith dated June 18th, which was nine days before Smith's murder. And he says that in this letter that he provides, uh, Smith says, you're the, you're the guy. So not only is he now saying it, he's also got this letter that proves it. Right. Proof, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Proof. Yeah. Everybody says this letter's a fraud. It's a complete fraud. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> there, there's some debate as to like if the envelope itself and the postmark are authentic. And, and the debate is like this, you know, String used to be a postmaster. If anybody could fake a postmark, it'd be him. But it's very possible that it was an actual letter from Smith granting String his wish to start up this Wisconsin territory. That would be like, you know, like an old man dying and the kids are there waiting for the will to be read. And all of a sudden they hear, well, Jack, he left all his belongings to his hot young wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they, I mean, they think that like he took the insides of whatever the letter was and he forged the letter saying that, hey, you're now the head of the church. But it, the actual letter was like, hey, great, go ahead and start up in Wisconsin. And that's, that's, that's that's the forward. Everybody agrees that this thing was a for a fraud. Hey guys, I'm looking at handwriting. I know it looks just like mine, but th th don't pay any attention. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, here I am. There's no one else around that's questioning it. Um, and so it, all of the while he's making plans to take his followers to uh, a city called Vori, which is in Wisconsin. He's gonna he's gonna take them with him. He's going away because he's it's still clear um, at this point that he's not gonna get everybody. He's trying. And he's he's gonna keep trying. He's gonna keep doing some stuff to try and like convince everybody to follow him, but it ain't working on everybody. Um, 
Brigham Young comes back and he's like, "Yeah, ain't going down without a fight. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dust off and do this, not physically." Um, so Brigham actually debates the other guy, uh, Sidney Rigdon, and just fucking destroys him, just absolutely annihilates him <laughs> in this debate, and immediately excommunicates him. Um, really, just consolidates his power. I mean, this is like Game of Thrones consolidating power bullshit. Like, kill all your enemies. Yeah. Um, so he chases Rigdon out of town. Rigdon takes his followers, gets a, goes back east and sets up shop in Pennsylvania. And he's like a split from the church. It is interesting. Brigham Young would not debate Strang. He, he, was, he was terrified of doing it because Strang was such a good talker. And that's not Brigham Young's forte. So he was like, we're not debating. Strang asked him, I think, three times to go and let's debate come on let's, let's do yeah. this i'll debate you i'll prove i'm the, the prophet and he's like absolutely not instead you know young was a far better politician and kind of really just got his power in place and he was able to excommunicate strang and just tried to like sow seeds of doubt amongst his followers he's like this guy's a clown he's a joke we don't know him he's only been here for three months how why why should we believe that letter he's got is a total fraud you know like this guy no just don't don't follow him yeah, and but it seemed, that would work like in ways to divide up the religion like we think of like Christianity today, right? Like you got your Baptists, you got your Catholics, you got your uh, uh, other sects. Of, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Other yeah, sects of Christianity. Protestants, you got your, you know. Methodists. Yeah. Methodists. So I'm guessing it divided up something like that. It didn't as much as you think. It really just, it really split. There's a few different splits, but the main three... Brigham Young held on to the bulk of the the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, Strang had a pretty sizable chunk that decided to follow him. And then Sidney Rigdon had some also that followed him back to Pennsylvania. So I'd say it's three main fractures. There's a couple of more that happened. Um, Joseph Smith's son kind of did it, made his own play, but it didn't last very long. And he eventually oh, went back to, yeah. <laughs> he, he just wasn't on the same level as these guys. I mean, like, you know, Young is like this, I would say he's like this cold-blooded, calculating, you know, politician. And Strang was like this charismatic wacko. That, hey, you know, hey, hey, look at me, look at me. <laughs> yeah, oh, really. Yes. Um, cheese trees. But he did, he really, it's actually impressive how many people he managed to bring with him. Just in terms of like some of the people that he was able to convince. He had... um two of the witnesses that, that were there at the very beginning of the, the religion when the Book of Mormon was being written. Uh, he also had Smith's mother, Lucy. Wow. Smith. Three of Smith's sisters uh, accepted Strang's claim. Lucy Smith, who was one of Smith's sisters, said to the local paper that I am satisfied that Joseph appointed J.J. Strang. It is verily so. Uh, according to Joseph Smith's brother, William, all of his family, with the exception of Hiram and Samuel Smith's widows, endorsed Strang. So all the Smiths are on board with Strang and not with Young. That's really impressive. Yeah. I, I, I was really surprised when I read that. I didn't follow the son. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they didn't follow Joseph Smith the <laughs> third. What are you doing, mom? Come back. <laughs> yeah, come on, mom. It's me. Dad like me. She's like, no, son. No, he didn't. No, yeah, son. but the JJ guy, man. Let's look at him. <laughs> yeah, look at look at Strang, that little weird forehead, beady-eyed man. 
like a Pinocchio doll come to life. <laughs> he's definitely lying. I don't think that nose is growing, but there's some li- some whoppers <laughs> he started selling. Um, another guy that came with him was a guy named John C. Bennett, and he was the assistant president, and he was also the general of the Navu Legion. Um, and, and he is also a big grifter um, that very shortly after gets kicked out of strings part of the church he gets like wow he was a he was a womanizer he started sleeping with a lot of the church members wives <laughs> so <laughs> hey man don't hate the player yeah man he was, he, he, from all accounts like he had actually been i'd say he was the general he had actually smith had kicked him out and he kind of left and went to go brood. And then he heard about the rift in the church. And he's like, I'm, I'm joining back up. I'm going to get back in there. And so he convinces Strang to let him back in. And then he starts fucking around with all the wives and he gets kicked out again. So in total, there was probably around 12,000 followers that, that believed Strang and went with him. Naturally, that wasn't enough for Strang. He was really annoyed that more people followed Young. I think Young had uh, something like 30,000 following him at this point um so he was like that's i like i'll never be legitimate if i have less than brigham young um so he to quote ricky bobby if you're not first you're last yeah that's exactly <laughs> it. although you got sydney rigdon who's very much last over there in pennsylvania <laughs> drinking up his own tears um so he gets to vori uh, wisconsin which is now his new base of operations um at the same time in nauvoo People in Illinois are really tired of the Mormons and they are ready for them to leave. And so Brigham Young starts making plans to travel west and eventually he would end up in Utah, which is famously now the Mormon, you know, home capital of of the religion. Um, And this is just because, again, he keeps getting pushed further and further west because of these sort of hostilities that he's he's ribbed up. So. I think Strang was smart enough to get out of town. He was like, this is not going to end well for anybody that stays here. We're going to Vori. We're going to get out of here and we'll do our thing there. And anybody that wants to come with me is welcome to come with me. So he now has his next stunt because he's still trying to prove his legitimacy to people. And he does a stunt that is very similar to what Joseph Smith had done at the founding of the church. And when I say very similar, I mean, he pretty much does exactly what Joseph Smith did to find the church. In 1823, Joseph Smith had a vision where an angel revealed to him the location of a book of ancient golden plates that contained the history of an ancient Judeo-Christian American people. This is what I was telling you about before. Um, Smith would translate the plates, which only he could read, into what is now called the Book of Mormon. So Strang goes and finds his own plates <laughs> and for he he said that another angel came down told him where these plates were he went to his site he dug them up they were brass plates and he translated them with the use of these magical glasses that were mentioned in the bible he's got magic glasses well more or less yeah man he i've got ca- magic glasses i've actually wear them they're called they're, they're seeing stones and they're called um urum and thumim and he found both of those. He found these two biblical relics and then used the seeing stones to translate these, these plates into what eventually would be called um, the Book of Law of Lord, Book of Law of the Lord, which is kind of like the, his portion, his section, his sect of Mormonism. That's their holy book. So, so it's like the Mormon Bible part two. Yeah, it's like the Book of Mormon part two, but it's a little different. And we'll talk about it once he gets around to writing it. 
this is it's it's a it's a thing like at first he's like i'm a mormon we follow the book of mormon right but i'm just i'm just the right guy to teach you about that so and then as the years go on he ends up he's like haha look at this i have these plates and i've written this book and here we go <laughs> but everybody knew about the plates he just hadn't written the book yet so they were like wow you know what joseph smith he you know he did that he did the same thing uh, and now strang is doing it like this is our guy and this does that look ridiculous <laughs> yeah so it's not even a little bit suspicious <laughs> so I, you know i i think no i think people did see it and i think they were like mm, this is this is suspicious i think there were people suspicious i want to read this passage really quick again from the king of confidence where it says um thanks to these miraculous devices just like the ones that had enabled joseph smith to translate the book of mormon string finished the work in a mere five days on September 18th, 1845, he declared that the plates to be the work of a certain Raha Manchu of Vorito, who in some distant age had fallen into battle at the site where the plates were discovered. The word Raha normally refers to a king or a prince from India, but Strang didn't venture to explain what an ancient royal from the <laughs> subcontinent might have been doing in southern Wisconsin or how his story connected to the larger Mormon epic. <laughs> I mean, man, they just, they really like cheese. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, they were like, let's go. Let's come from India to Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't believe that there's no explanation. I just think the ball's on this guy. And it's, and you're, you know, you asked earlier, you're right. People didn't believe him. Like, there were a lot of people that were like, I don't know if this is. This I is. think we followed the wrong guy. But, he, but like he's already got this huge following. And so you kind of look around and you're like, everybody else thinks this is okay. Even though if I think this is questionable or they think it's questionable, but they don't say anything because everybody else, you know. Right. They don't want to be judged. Yep. Yep. But he also did stuff. He, he was a little underhanded too, because he, he, um, young had, okay. So we'll, let's talk about polygamy really quick because it's a big hot topic. It's what a lot of people talk about when they talk about Mormons. They're like, right. Oh, I wanted Mormons. to get here, but I didn't know the right time to ask. Yeah. So we'll talk about it a little bit initially polygamy was not part of uh, the Mormon faith and it didn't happen until later. Joseph Smith that he had a, he, you know, he'd received word from God that he was to marry multiple people and sort of the, the rationale behind that is you can achieve salvation through marriage. So if you, as a woman, this is very controversial and this is very controversial today. Um, and it was very controversial at the time. Uh, it was not popular. Polygamy was not a popular thing. And that's, that's the big misconception is that Mormons were out there loving polygamy, but they, it really was a lot of people in the church did not agree with it either. Right. Um, and so the, the thought was, if you marry someone, the holy man, you would be saved as a result of your marriage to this man. Okay. So, you know, so what is it a get out of hell free card? kind of get into heaven free card right you know and so you know joseph smith his argument was when i marry these women they're coming with me in the afterlife like they're 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 it's like a free pass to the afterlife that's a really simplified version of it it sounds um, to me like he's just really like coochie yeah that's an argument that's an <laughs> argument you can make that's an argument that a lot of people make and it was a secret though at first you know like he knew it wasn't going to go over well and so he kept his marriages on the down low and a lot of the members of the leadership kind of embraced the polygamy thing too. And so that it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a bad secret, a really open secret that they were doing this, but it really upset a lot of people. And when young, you know, took over, 
he made no bones about continuing with polygamy. Like he, he, he was, he was going to, he's like, this is what we're doing. This is what Joseph Smith told us to do. We're going to continue to do this. And a lot of people didn't like that. And so Strang right out the gate said, we don't believe in polygamy. We're a monogamous, you know, faith. We believe that you, you have one person that you marry. Polygamy is not a part of it. So that one, a lot of people over, even with his stupid antics with the plates and translating them. I think it was a very political move on his part. It was. He saw how it was dividing the church. And he's yep. like, okay, if I get all these people on my side, yeah, then I have numbers. Yep. He also was kind of a shitbag and started to people. I don't know if it was actually ever him, but people in the church started these rumors that Brigham Smith is taking us all west you know like we're heading west we're getting out of illinois just think of all the quotes big quotes savages that we may encounter on the road who could rape and kill your daughters and that freak people out fucking suck my dick brigham young yep I know. <laughs> but uh and it was like this one's gonna really wind up and piss off dalton yeah but that wasn't brigham young no that was strang saying oh, strang oh okay yeah sorry i'm sorry and it, wasn't, string. and it wasn't string. It was probably just people around him trying to convince people. <laughs> Who to am I telling to suck my dick? <laughs> Clearly lots of people. You're like, please, all of you Mormon speaking, elders, suck my speaking dick. Speaking of polygamy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dalton. <laughs> Listen, I, while we're on the topic, I just want to go ahead and get this out of the way, I guess. So I, 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 this is, I knew it. Again. I was like, here we go. I was, when I was writing this, I was like, this is going to hit Dalton. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I'm going on a different topic than you think I am. I don't have a problem with polygamy. You know, do what you want. It's fine. Oh, care. yeah. But what I'm curious about is the rumors of pedophilia in Mormonism and like how young the wives are. I mean, I think you call it pedophilia today. I don't think you called it that then. I think there were a lot of, I mean, this is like 1840s. If you weren't married and having kids by the time you were 15, you were a failure uh, as a human. Like that, that's right. just that, I think that's just a product of the time. I don't think that, I, I don't think what we call pedophilia now, it would apply then, but it didn't because that was the norm. Like we, people got married very young and very young girls were marrying very old men and it's fucking gross and it's horrible, but I don't think it's not something that's specific just to the Mormon church. They're just kids, man. I know. Ugh. I know. Yeah. And uh, Joseph Smith at the time of his death had something like 40 wives, which was insane. And they were Holy all, shit, Pimp, what are you doing? <laughs> all over the place in terms of ages. I mean, there were some really young, young girls in there and, but I don't think that that was, I mean, I was just accept. I mean, look at like even Manson when he was running around, he had a, some of these girls were like 16 years old and that he was fucking around with and traveling with them. I mean, these were younger, but nobody had a problem with the age at the time because it was just like, oh, it's a different time. Like they were 16. They could go be groupies and sleep with bands. And, you know, uh, it's like all these rock stars from the 60s and 70s, all these groupie girls, they were babies and they were hooking up with these rock stars. But we didn't talk about it because it was like an accepted thing at the time, but it's really fucking gross right now. Yeah, can I guarantee we, can you, we, all those guys, Steven Tyler, Mick Jagger, all these guys definitely hooked up with underage girls. Uh, Everybody in Led Zeppelin. Sorry, but it's, I mean, like the people just don't talk because we revere them as rock stars. It's a different time, but 60 summer <laughs> love. It's a bunch of bullshit. You were sleeping with children. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. It's definitely gross. Well, okay. I'm I'm glad we got that. Is there still yeah. in Utah? I guess. Like, you know what I'm coming. You know what I'm trying to say. Like, is there still like pedophilia in the Mormon Church? Is that no. still a thing? No, and no, no polygamy. The modern church uh, has outlawed polygamy, um, and and it's it's. I don't. They obey the laws of you know like the 
consent laws of age of consent laws. There's nothing like that anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, the, the church has become modern in some respects and kind of old fashioned in other respects, but in terms of marriage and that kind of thing, they're, they're, they're more on the modern traditional side of things. They're not so modern on gay marriage, but you know, the, like in terms of like, there's no polygamy and there's actually been over time, there's been sections that have left the church because of that, you know, like as the church moves away from polygamy, there's um, a nasty fucking section. And I believe they're in Nevada. Um, it's, it's a whole different show, but um, yeah, the the Jeff's clan, which is a polygamist, weirdo, murderous bunch of creepy assholes out in the middle of the desert. I think I based my views of Mormonism from uh, that TLC reality show. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. The Sister Wives? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know the truth. I mean, the, 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 the big church, and, and I'm not defending a religion, but I do want to be factual about it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to, I'm not endorsing any part of this religion because I have very strong opinions about it that, you know, go to the contrary. Of, but anyway, I, I just want to make sure that, hey, we're being representative of what it is now. Now, it does I want have a to history. be fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was another thing that string played up on were these savages that they might meet along the way that could harm their daughters and that freak people out. And so they stuck with string and they because Wisconsin's a whole lot closer to Illinois than Utah is. And so yeah. they were like, hey, let's stick with this guy. I don't know, man. Utah sounds a lot better than fucking cheese country. Yeah, I think in the in the end, I think Utah was probably the right decision for most of them. <laughs> Even though they had to fight a lot and there was, I mean, they lost a lot of lives on the way there. You know, there were a lot of run-ins with Native Americans and, and a lot of like skirmishes with locals, but I think they, they seem to have prospered more in Utah, as we'll see as we continue the story of Strang and his, his weirdos. And that does it for us today. Uh, instead of, you know, boring you with a three-hour podcast we figured we'd bore you with two one and a half hour podcasts we're going to split this up into two so next week take a look for james strang part two i promise you it is worth a listen um you've heard a lot this time it's gonna get even wilder next time we have friends go check out our friends at pod van dam iwtv guide super fantastic podcast x server hard-headed sweet stuff and bitter things podcast wrestling cheers Go find us on social media. Find me on Twitter at Catch Dalton. Find Austin on Twitter at Austin Agogo. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at Catch My Griff Pod. Thrown like a star, my vice, if I opened my eyes to take a peek. To find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility. Just then when the hurdy-gurdy man came singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy-gurdy man came singing songs of Histories of ages past, and then 
moonlight and shadows cast Down through all eternity The crying of humanity Tis then when the hurting good in man Comes singing songs of love Then when the hurting good in man Comes singing songs of Yeah, yeah.